We're cutting through the noise of the pro audio industry. This is Noise Reduction, a podcast by MarketScale featuring Collier Spring. Hey everyone, welcome to the, let's call it the inaugural episode of Noise Reduction with Collier Spring. Collier, thanks for being here, man. Tyler, uh, my pleasure to be here. Noise Reduction uh, has so many meanings in this world, uh, whether it used to mean getting rid of all the tape hiss on your professional tape machines or your cassette deck. Yes. So you could hear the music over the noise on the tape. Nowadays, it's like the cacophony of social media and just the world is so loud and so noisy. So yeah, noise reduction, uh, it's its definitely a, a, a good idea. We're, we're cutting through the noise here, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, yeah <laughs> so, something like that. Hopefully we're not adding to it. No, nah, we're, we're going to slice through with some, some facts uh, over fiction. Yes. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Um, Collier, give people an idea of who you are, what you do, and uh, a little bit of your background in the uh, the pro audio industry. For those, uh, we've recorded an episode with Collier in the past that kind of dove into his history and, and that sort of thing. And there's, uh, I think that episode's probably 35, 40 minutes long. It's on marketscale.com if you want to go back and listen to that. But just give us a brief little, yeah. uh, the, the trailer version of who Collier Spring is. Yeah, the elevator pitch. Uh <laughs> was a musician, still am a musician. I started playing drums early, like sixth grade, fifth grade, when I got bored with the trumpet. And I was like, ah, oh, the drums are a lot cooler. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so really, that was my passion and my vehicle for pleasure and, and, and being in bands, whether it was high school band and marching band and college marching band, but also bands. So music led me to my career because I wanted to, I, you know, I would buy a record, put it on, put my headphones on and listen to both sides without stopping. And I'd read the liner notes. Who's the drummer? Who's the engineer? What does he do? Who's the producer? What the heck does he do? I was like, oh, once I figured that out, it's like, ah, I want to be those guys. I want to be the producer. I want to be the guy. And I love playing, but I want to be the guy that's telling people what to do. So I became a recording engineer uh, and used my musicianship as sort of leverage to get in there. I went to school uh, to be an engineer and in New York, and then I was an engineer in LA um, and here in Dallas for many, many years. So the pro audio uh, world for me is is home. And as much as, you know, there's an old joke of the music business where it's like you take half your life trying to get into the music business and the other half trying to get out. But <laughs> I can't seem to get out, and, and not that I want to. Yeah, uh, finding yeah. a, a viable place with all the changes that have gone in the industry and technology in the last 20 years mm-hmm. has made it difficult. But the way to uh, succeed and continue to succeed is to adapt to the changes. And if you can stay ahead of them, even better. And that's all about education and, and passion. Yeah. Combining yeah. those two things. So one of the ways that people stay up to date on what's going on in the world and what's going on in, in pro audio and in the music industry in general are, is trade shows like NAM. And so uh, you attended NAM 2020, the winter uh, edition of the show, uh, over the weekend uh, for two of the four days, I believe, right? That Yeah, I went out there. It's uh, a marathon, man. I, I stayed. I was there full day Friday, full day Saturday. Yeah. Got my fill. It was a marathon, two long days, but... <laughs> It's, it's, it's four days. It's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And it's the National Association of Music Merchants, but it has to do with any, it has, it's about anybody and anything that has to do with music creation, whether it's software, music paper, uh, microphones, anything professional audio. And, and that's really uh, ramped up in the last three years. They now have a, a pro audio hall 
But I mean, you can walk in and see string instruments, band instruments. Uh, Hal Leonard is a big distributor. You can buy sheet music. I mean, who buys sheet music? Wow. A lot of people do. Uh, and and it's, it's the biggest, imagine two football fields of electric guitars. And then another football yes, field of drums and cymbals and percussion. And as a drummer, it's like, ah, oh, I want to go see all the new stuff. And that for about 10 minutes, my ears are just going, get out of here. Yeah, yeah. So, but it's it's everything and anything you can think of with the, the music business, and whether you're thinking pop music, the music money making, music making machine, or, you know, high school band stuff and everything in between. That's pretty incredible. Just a, what a, what a, Gigantic and somewhat overwhelming event. I would, I would have to imagine just a lot, a lot of noise. But as a musician myself, I, I always find myself fascinated by it. Always read the articles and follow along with everything kind of going on there. From your perspective, as someone that has been in the industry for a long time and kind of followed these things, and uh, you work a lot with you know Avid and Pro Tools and things like that these right. days. What's what's the primary benefit of a show like this these days? I mean. Most of the time, we're able to to get updates and notifications on, oh, this company is releasing this this new product or this upgrade and that sort of thing. So when we get those types of things, does that make a show like this irrelevant? Or are there ancillary benefits that, that kind of have become the primary benefit? Well, it, uh, the primary benefit has always been from 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 a not insider, really, but but someone who's attended the last, gosh, 10, almost 10 years here now. Yeah. But um, it's it's about relationships that you have. If you're a vendor, if you make a box, you want to see all the guys that want to help you sell your box so sure. you can make money. Um, and I was on that side of it. Now I'm a, now I work for a reseller and I have very high-end clients. So I go in there to not only to see all the new gear, which I'm a, just a gearhead anyway. I've always been, but <laughs> but it really for me, it's about the relationships that I've made with both clients, users, mm -hmm. and the the vendors, the people that make the gear, that design the gear. They're all there, and from the outside, uh, if you've not been to a show, it's like oh man, it'd be so great to go to look at all the new guitars and drums and synths and sure. microphone, you know, you name it. Um, and, and with the advent of the you know the the internet, you can see everything. Literally 10 a.m. the day of the show, everybody releases all of it to the internet. So you can see it online. I can watch somebody better than me playing that guitar. Why do I need to do <laughs> Exactly. So you don't have to go to like, if you're just going yeah. to see the new box, Yeah. wait till 10 a.m. Monday, 10.30 a.m. Thursday, the first day, and just log on to your favorite websites and you're going to see it all. Sure. So it doesn't make it irrelevant. It just makes the, the personal and, and professional relationships that you have with all those people that much more important because they're still showing all their great stuff because they want people to get excited about it. Yeah. Whether it's a user or a reseller like myself, um, and I go there to learn. So when I get back into my chair and somebody calls me and goes, hey, man, uh, I'm interested about this thing I heard about. I can tell them all about it and go, eh, right. that's not really for you or this is absolutely for you. Start saving up your pennies. Yeah, which I think that relational aspect of the industry is probably underrated, right? Everybody thinks, oh, if you're if you're talented enough, you you make it. But that's not really... That's not really the way the music industry has always operated. And I, I know for myself, not so much in the music industry, but in radio and in media in general, every job I've ever gotten has been because I knew people. It, you know? it's, it's always about people. I tell this story. I moved to L.A. when I was 23 uh, and you know took, took a few hundred dollars in my pocket and my drums 
and didn't even own a car, but I had to get one. But I would I would audition for bands. I thought, okay, I'm working to to pay my rent, but I came out here to be a musician and you know be a studio musician. And also, it's like, hey man, I miss playing in bands. Yeah. So I would audition for bands, and there were cattle calls literally for drummers because there was so much work. And in the '80s, there was you know it was it was a money making machine. Sure. So I'd go to to SIR, which stands for Studio Instrument Rentals, or sorry, I rented. Uh, and go and go audition. They'd set up a drum kit, and the band would be here, and it would be you wouldn't really know who the band was, but you'd you'd audition, and you would get to watch the two or three guys in front of you, and maybe the two or three guys after you. And and I'm looking at him, going, "Oh, dude, this guy's just ridiculous chops. He will play. He's way better player than I was." Um, and for some reason, and and then they talk to you for five minutes after your audition of playing to get, yeah. you know just kind of see if you're human or not, and then say, "Okay, man, cool. We'll we'll you know hang out." Or, or no, all right, see you later. Sometimes it was gone. Yeah. Almost every time it was like, hey, man, go, go in this room and hang out. And then they talked to me some more. And, and I realized, and I was an assistant in a really nice recording studio, a couple of them. Um, and I realized all the best players weren't these insanely um, uh, technical chop masters that were just like blowing you away with everything they played. They were just really cool people mm-hmm. and they had great, and I called it hang factor. If you have good hang factor, you're way going to get a gig either with a band or in a studio because people like you or people can get along to you or they can talk to you and go like, hey man, you want to go play some hoops out back? Sure. Yeah. You know, yeah. Been, been there, done that. And 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 the, the super nerd guy that's the best drummer on the planet that can't look you in the eye and can't really hold a conversation, the, the, you know, that's awesome, but they don't want to, ha- that's not somebody they want in their band. So it's, it's about personal relationships. It always is. And I think that's true in any profession. I mean, if you're a mm. doctor or a lawyer, you got to really know your stuff. But if you're, if you're a jerk or really hard to deal with or, or hard to relate to, yeah. not, you don't have to be bad or good, but if you're hard to relate to, or if you're really difficult to talk to, you're not going to work as much as somebody that's like, Hey man, come on, let's go have a beer. Or let's just go chat. Oh, so, yeah. so it's it's about personal relationships first, although from the outside, um, looking into the music business or the NAMM show or anything like that, you think it's all about the gear. You think it's about who's the best player. Mm-hmm. It, granted, the, all the studio guys are great players, but they're also great people and great feelers and, and you know, they they can go with the flow and that's that was that was the deal. Yeah. And that's that's true with anything. You can go with the flow and you've got skills and you know people, you can't lose. Yeah, yeah. So when you when you attend a show like this with the primary goal of it being more relational than anything else, how yeah. do you approach it? You know, do you have a a plan of okay, I need to go see these guys and I need to go shake these hands and you know, go reconnect with these friends and that sort of thing? That that's exactly I mean, that's that's the overarching uh plan. Yeah. It, it never quite goes to plan because it's this random zoo of, it's like going to Six Flags and trying to find somebody. Sure. You know, it's like, I'm going to go to the zoo and I'm going to try and find this guy. He said he'd be here today. Good luck. You're going to walk 10 miles. Yeah. <laughs> Wear comfy shoes. Yeah. Oh, that's dude. Uh, 4.8 miles each day. Um, honestly, that you go in there with that idea. And I did have some uh, meetings scheduled ahead of time, the week ahead of time. It's like, hey man, let's meet at one at our booth. Um, and you know, I missed one of them because one of them goes over and it happens, but most of the time, uh, a lot of my vendors and also clients, 
uh, will say, hey, I'm going to be at the Harmon booth at two. Can you swing by? Yeah. And you make it and you bump into somebody and you, you wind up running into people all over the all over the show floor, no matter where you are in, mm-hmm. in that food truck line, you know, or in the bathroom. It's like, oh, hey, dude, uh, yeah. eyes up. So, <laughs> uh, but it's, it's a, it, it is, it's about the people. Mm-hmm. The gear is exciting. I mean, that's, it's, I mean, if you're a guitarist, man, let's go see the latest stuff from Fender. Yeah. Let's go see the latest amps. And if you're a drummer or cymbals or, you know, recording guy, it's like, oh, let's check out these new preamps. Sure. So it's, it, 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 on the outside, on the surface, it does seem like about the gear. And, and at the end of the day, it's about getting people excited about your gear. And the way to do that is through your relationships. Yeah. Because at, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, like you mentioned, it is still people that all have similar interests. So it, you're all kind of, you know, even though it is relational, it is all kind of based around the fact that everybody has this common interest in a lot of this gear, right? And so that still that still matters at the end of the day. Yeah, everybody's trying to sell their gear mm-hmm. and show you how great it is over last year's or what used to be. Um, and everybody's trying to up their game, whether it's a recording studio yeah. or a production, post-production facility or a band or a guitar or a music store trying to sell better better guitars for cheap less money. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's it's always about selling something. I mean, it's the old adage. Everybody's trying to sell you something. Um and and that's true, but if you have good relationships with people, it's easy to do that. It's not drudgery, it's not pulling teeth. It's like, "Oh man, these are great. You show me, you learn about microphones and go, "Oh man, oh I didn't know this. Now I know I have clients that need this, that are looking for this, and I'm you're unaware. So it's about learning your craft, whether it's, you know, pianos or guitars or musical, you know, it's 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 about supply and demand as well. It's like sure. if you don't know what's out there, you can't sell it. But if you know what it is and you're like, oh, I have people that, that should know about this. Mm-hmm. And it, it you're an enabler. I call myself a gear enabler. I'm not really – I mean, I'm a salesman if you spell it out that way, but I'm a gear enabler and a trusted advisor. People go, Caller, would you see what's cool? What do you think? Um, you know, and I'll tell them, and they're like, well, we're looking for this. And it's like, oh, dude, I saw one of these. You should look into this. And it puts a bug in their ear, mm-hmm. and they go look at it, and they're like, oh, man, that looks really great. What can I get one for? Well, they'll be out in March, and it'll be five grand or whatever. Yeah. And, and it starts this conversation, and they trust you because of your advice, and they're willing to spend their money with you because they know you've got a good thinking process. You're not just a guy, you know, shipping them a box from some unknown place in the Midwest. Right. Right. So it's, it's, it's those relationships. Cause I mean, if you want to buy some gear from from the absolute cheapest, you just go online and punch up the product you want, you know, call somebody at a 800 number and order it. But if you want value added, if you want, advice or if you want to know how to use it or mm-hmm. if you know how it's being used or what other people think you want to have a relationship with that person that's enabling you to to purchase this gear yeah yeah so you know whether you're, like i said whether you're a supplier vendor whether it's you know avid trying to sell a new control surface or if it's warm audio trying to sell a new tube microphone that's sort of a a vintage recreation you know if i go learn about it then i can recommend it to people or i can steer people away from it if i think Oh well, that's that's really not what you're looking for. You're looking for a a clean, crisp, solid state mic versus a you know a warm, fuzzy. So this is a highly educational kind of experience for you, getting to go and see and kind of touch, hold, you yeah. know, explore and test out 
different uh, and new equipment, different new software and things along those lines. Oh, absolutely. And that's what they want us there. That's, that's, mm-hmm. that's why the, the vendors, the, dis, you know, the people showing their wares, that's why they're there because they want you to learn about it yeah. and get you excited about it. So that when you go back to your office and you talk to your clients, they're like, oh man, wait till you see this new software. Wait till you see this new thing. Uh, interesting enough, Harman, big giant, uh, Corporation yeah. owns Harman, as in Harman Kardon, owns a bunch of brands. JBL. Yeah, JBL. Uh, I was looking at their website the other day just for fun. Yeah, JBL, AKG, mm-hmm. um, and they have this cool. And I, I, I didn't really pay attention to it. It's, it's, it's sort of like it's a podcasting kit. Uh, it's this new AKG uh, Lyra microphone. It's 149 mm-hmm. bucks by itself. And then they have this new AKG headphones, K371, I think, or whatever it is. But they have those separate, but they also have a podcasting kit. It's like a starter's kit. It's a USB microphone, tabletop, looks like a traditional AKG 414 sort of old school mic. Uh, It's got all the right inputs and outputs and balance. And the headphones, they have a headphone and and, uh, a podcasting mic kit for 250 bucks. And whereas normally it would be 350, you bought them separately. Yeah. And one of the resellers or the distributors said, hey, man, you, you see, this is really cool, but go listen to these headphones. They're... They're a touch away from the $1,500 headphones that are right next to it. I was like, oh, okay, go on. So I went and listened to the $1,500 headphones. I was like, yeah, these sound good. Yeah. It's hard to justify that kind of coin for a pair of headphones, but you know what? Mm. And then I went and listened to the the model that comes in the podcasting kit and was like, if you're if you weren't as really an educated listener – you wouldn't be able to tell the difference wow. for 149 bucks. Yeah. So I'm thinking, wow, the technology really is getting, you know, it's getting us. Now, the the, the expensive ones had lots of pretty stuff and nice leather and mm-hmm. titanium, this and that. So it's, you know, you're, you're getting what you pay for. But those cheap, the inexpensive ones were not cheap by any stretch of the imagination. So I was like, man, this is, you know, for for the low-end guy, for I, and I have people call me and go, hey, I'm, I'm trying to put a little podcast rig together. What should I do? And it's like, well, do you want to do it on your phone yeah. or do you want to do it on your laptop or, you know, and, and so this was great info Intel for me to go, man, you should look at this new kit from AKG. Uh, and then there's new consoles from Avid. There's new interfaces. There's new mm-hmm. consoles from SSL. So, I mean, it's literally the gamut of from $149 up to hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah. of, of new things. And, and it's, you know, it's, it is an education as a gearhead. It's like, I want to learn everything about all the new stuff that applies to most of my clients. If it's band instruments or sheet music, nobody calls for that, but there are, you know, music schools that need that. They need, you know, that kind of stuff. So, but it's all there. So you can sort of overwhelm yourself pretty quickly <laughs> within, in, you know, input overload. Yeah. Uh, so I just kind of stay focused on what, and everybody I talk to, it's like, hey man, uh, what'd you see that's really cool? I need to go see it. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll get a few, you know, it's like, oh, go check out this, you know, go check out the thing from uh, NTP or go check out the new software from Isotope. It's like, oh, okay, I'll go see. And, I'll, and on the way, I bump into see people I know, I, I'll run into vendors. So it's, it, again, it's a social, it's it's a socially positive thing, but I, you know, now I know now I, I met the, the American distributor for uh, Genelec speakers, mm-hmm. which are very high-end uh, studio monitors. Spoke with her on the phone for nine months. Now I know it. Now we name with a face, face with a name. Yeah. Ah, it's like, okay. 
So it, it's about that as well, just to sort of have a good relationship with everybody. And and they realize that you're not some knucklehead that's, you know, dragging my knuckles as I walk and, right. and I'm just selling boxes. So um, the better relationships I can have with both my clients and vendors, um, the happier everyone's going to be. And, you know, that at the end of the day, man, you want to be when it's, you know, when you hang the phone up at the end of the day, you want to be happy. Mm -hmm. You want, you know, whatever it is you do all day uh, for work, for pleasure, you, you want to, you know, you want to end the day on a happy note. You want to be happy with what you do and who you deal with. Definitely. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it, it's, it's those kind of opportunities of meeting people that I can't turn down. Uh, you know, even though it's a beating to go to that show, I'll always go because of you never know who you're going to see and meet. I met Quincy Jones. He was there. I was like, oh, that's cool. Cool. So yeah, it just, yeah. he was a guest at the Avid booth and, and I was standing there watching and he came by and I said, hey, and it's like, ooh, okay, that's cool. Legend. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's, it, it's a, it's a sort of a necessary evil. It's expensive and it takes you away from your work for a couple of days, but at the same time, it's fun. So, mm -hmm. um, it's, it's interesting. Um, well, anyway, <laughs> so if you had to, I don't know, put a label on a lot of the things that you see when you're there, would you say that they are more incremental changes? Just, you know, uh, little improvements here or there, little adjustments, little, you know, corrections for what the market is looking for. Or are you seeing a lot of like wholesale innovations and new, brand new, never seen before kind of things? There's less of that. There's less like, oh, game changer. Yeah. You know, oh, oh okay, I drop whatever you're doing. There's there's a lot less disruption. Whereas in technology, you see these leaps and bounds, like sure. oh, disruptive technology, like oh, Uber's going to put taxi cabs out of business because yeah. it's a whole new paradigm of of how to have uh, contracted drivers. In 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 equipment in audio, I mean, we went through the digital revolution in the late '80s and all through the '90s until it actually sounded good, and now we have more control. And more, we have, you know, you can buy boutique converters, boutique preamps, all sorts of stuff. So it's more incremental uh, leaps and bounds, but nothing sort of game changing where it just turns your head around like, oh, here's where the industry's going. Yeah. And I do notice trends. Well, I, and I also, I see, I've seen it for a while, but everything's going AO, AOIP. So audio over uh, Ethernet protocol. So yeah. audio over Ethernet. There's a couple of different standards or there's a couple of different protocols and then some standards, but it's all sort of congealing and gelling down to a few standards. It's all going to wind up being AS67 anyway, but um, more and more boxes, even some of the traditional analog diehards now have little cards that you can slide into their boxes that have A to D converters and they have a Dante or AVB port on the back. So you just plug an Ethernet cable and if you're already set up in an in a Ethernet connected audio world, you can just add this onto your network. Mm. And so that's where everything is going. And you're just seeing more and more and more and more of that, not only with the high-tech companies, with the computer, you know, very computer-savvy companies, but the analog people like, oh, we, all we have is analog mic pre's and, and consoles like Rupert Neve has a killer, you know, the 5088 analog, yeah. traditional, fat, sweaty analog console. Sounds amazing. Um, and they have an eight-channel mic pre with a, Dante output on it. So it's <laughs> plug it into your network and go. Yeah. And it sounds fantastic, but then you're in the digital land. So it's it's less less you know groundbreaking um 
changes and more incremental stuff. But some people, you know, some people will come out with a brand new box that has all the latest stuff. So it's like, oh, they've left all their roots behind or all the things that were keeping them from being mm -hmm. popular behind. So it's, it's, but it's fun to see. And that's, you know, you, you can see the trends going that way. Um, but it's all easy to keep up. There's not like anything you go in this dark room and go, oh, I don't even know what I'm hearing or seeing anymore. Mm -hmm. It's, it's not like magic. The magic was in the eighties when we went from analog tape machines and analog consoles to a, something you push a key on a computer and suddenly it's stored in there. Now I can edit it and pick it up and copy it, yeah. and paste it. Whereas before you had to cut a tape with a razor blade and try not to hurt yourself. <laughs> so it's more of this, this slow drip of change, I, I, I guess. And then 10 years later, you kind of look back and think, oh, look at how far we've actually come. But it's been a, a slow drip of 10 years or yeah. so of, of slow kind of innovations and the, the, the industry changing and shifting but it's been, but it's it's slow, and it's it's yeah. you know you add a new input here or there. I'm not sure it's slow. I'd say it's garden hose. It's it's not a flood, but it's fair. it's the garden hose has been running for a while, of towards uh, connected interconnected uh, yeah. uh, um, infrastructure audio and control because it's cheaper. You have more more channel count, more you know more control because mm -hmm. that's what we want. Uh, the digital technologies has not sped us up or made things go quicker. Like we thought it was going to be, it gave us it gave us more options, so we tend to spend more time exploring those options. Sure. Um, so the repeatability factor is is really the important part, and consistency. So, so you you've been going to the show now for I, I think you mentioned ten years or so mm -hmm. uh, earlier. Have you started to notice the the cyclical nature of the industry almost, where something comes out, uh, you know, it goes out of style, and yeah, you know, oh, nobody wants that anymore. And then you know, if you just wait long enough, that thing comes back in style, and you start to see copies of the things that people didn't want twenty years ago, and now all of a sudden are the hottest thing that everybody's got to have. Yeah, that's that in the technological side of things, that's not so much the case, but. In the the analog world, where it, mainly really in the musician world, where you're playing an instrument, whether it's a digital keyboard or a you know piano or guitars, but a lot of a lot of you'll see a lot of trends in in that segment, and it has to do with traditions and and envy of oh man the way you know the old Led Zeppelin drum kit or the the way the guitars sounded in the Who and you know that like those things will become fashionable. Or trendy, and then you know they'll peak and wane, and something else will come along to take it play take its place. And it, it is very cyclical in that in the musician space, especially with drums, especially with guitars, uh, basses, things like don't change that much. You know, four string basses. Then there was five, then six, then seven, and all these. Oh, we got a bass made out of carbon fiber that doesn't have a head. You know, the Steinberger bass from the '80s and right. stuff, and all that stuff goes. And now, it, I mean, it just constantly it comes back to like, oh man, if you don't have a Fender P bass or yeah, a Fender, I just want the four string P bass. Yeah, I want a P bass or jazz, and that's all we need. Yeah, and same with amps, cabinets, speakers, um, synthesizers. The whole, you know, the, all the the fat out of tune, sweaty synthesizers, analog synthesizers from the late seventies and early eighties. Then MIDI came in and they, a lot of people MIDI'd those synthesizers and then everything got away. Now they're just sample players and they're all digital samples mm -hmm. of some kind of sound. But that, that got, th then, then they realized, oh man, people are paying 
tens of thousands of dollars for JP8s right. and OBXs and OB, OBX, uh, Matrix 12s that are real analog since that they only made a few hundred of or a few, maybe a thousand of. So those kind of things go in and out of fashion as well. You know, five years ago to find a Matrix 12, you paid $10,000 for it. Now they've recreated those things in new, in new models. And it's like, well, for 99.9% .9 of that sound, I can buy a new one for twelve for $1,200 rather than 10000 So yeah. it yeah. all goes in cycles, much less technologically speaking of recording, things like that. But musical instruments have always sort of done that, done that sort of wave of, of, oh, this is trendy for a couple of years, and then it's not. You know, for, for a while, um, Marshalls were very expensive and very in demand. Yeah. And then they fell off the planet of the earth, and then everybody wanted to have a book, boogie or a dunk, Seymour Duncan or something. Mm -hmm. And it just goes around and around and around, just like uh, guitar pedals yeah. we were talking about earlier. Oh, my gosh. It's like boutique guitar pedals. And, and then, then it goes back to, oh, I, I want a, a, just a, a Roland JC-120 mm -hmm. and the, their little compressor pedal and I'm good. Yeah, yeah. So just it, give me the green tube screamer and I'm yeah, done. Yeah. You know? And and they get such a mystique about them. Oh, they haven't made those in 20 years. They're so amazing. Well, yeah. you know. So it's it, it is trendy and it is cyclical. Um and that's what makes it interesting because something new always comes out on the back end sure. of that or some sort of amalgamation of of what was traditional and what was trendy and some something new. So mm -hmm. So, and that's exciting too, as a gearhead, as somebody who's interested in gear enough to go learn about it and to realize, well, my clients are going to want that or, or aren't going to want that, but they'll really dig this. Right. That's a, you know, that's part of my education and that's what allows me to be relevant. <laughs> if I'm just a, a, you know, if I'm a narrow path guy, if all I know about is one area, then, you know, I'm limited. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I, I experienced that cyclical thing firsthand recently. I, got married, kind of don't spend as much money on guitar stuff as I used to, so I don't keep up with it, so I don't get that envy, right? And sure. so I'm talking to a buddy, and I'm playing his Les Paul, and he's just got this really great uh, Gibson Les Paul classic, and I'm sitting there playing it, and I'm like, <laughs> man, I love these guitars so much. And he's like, you know, like, Les Pauls just aren't hot right now. Like, nobody's playing, nobody mm -hmm. that I know is playing Les Pauls. And I was like, what? Like, what yeah. did this come? But it's, like you say, it's just, it's just cyclical. For a little while while I was in college, everybody had to have a Telecaster. If you didn't have a Telecaster... What were you even doing? Yeah, what and, are you thinking? Yeah, you know? exactly. But no one played strats. Right. And uh, it was just, you know, it's well, just one of those things. And as we get older, you realize, oh, I just need one of each and I'll be okay. <laughs> you know, as a drummer, it's like, well, I got about three or four drum kits. I don't really need them, but they're all a little bit different. So right. in case I'm doing a rock gig or a, or a, you know, a, a Monsters of Rock gig or sort of a fusion gig or a jazz gig or a country you know, or if I'm in the studio, it's a wholly different drum kit. Yeah. And that's the same thing. I go to the show and, and it's like, oh, I'm going to go to the drum, you know, I'll go to the drum stadium and look at all the drums and the cymbals. And it's like, oh my gosh, over information overload. But again, like Yamaha has this new sort of compact kit. It's like, oh man, jewel time. <laughs> uh, and it's really cool. It's like, do I need it? No. But it, it emotionally grabs you of like, oh, I love this stuff. Yeah. So it's just, you know, you got to decide what's important and, you know, when you're married, when you get married, it's like, okay, I have to have less guitars because I have to have room for my wife. So, <laughs> And you got to pick those battles. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, well, it's, you know, working on getting my marriage to the point where I can have one of every guitar, but we'll we'll see if that ever happens. Yeah, it's just time. Just time, <laughs> time heals all guitars. It's, it's a great point. So, okay, just to kind of we're, we're closing to the end, yeah. just to wrap things up, let's talk um, just if there were a couple things that caught your eye at – 
at NAM 2020. Um, if you could highlight, you know, two, three things, what, however many things that you saw that you thought, this is cool, I'm going to take this back to a couple people or, you know, be sure to tell some people about this particular thing or these two things or something like that. Yeah. Uh, hit, hit me with some uh, Hit me with some cool stuff. You mentioned the AK, AKG. That, that little podcast that, that was cool. Really cool. Uh, and, and for, there's a company called uh, Universal Audio. Mm-hmm. They make uh, traditional analog mic pre's, compressors, uh, real old school, I mean, classic stuff. But they, they also make the duet. Yes. Yes. Uh, well, no, that's oh. that's the Apogee. They no, make no, the no. I'm thinking of um, Twin. Yes. Yeah, yes. They make the Twin. They just come out with the Apollo X4. They have X, you know, they have the Twin, the X4, 6, 8, 8P, and the 16. So that sort of ecosphere with the Apollo series, they just mm-hmm. released a new thing called Luna, and they'd been teasing for about a week or so in front of the show, and nobody knew what it was. Is yeah. it a synth? Is it a, is it a DAW? Is it a new interface? Oh, like we need another one. But what it is, it's it's a DAW. It's a digital audio workstation that is free if you own an Apollo interface. Cool. So what it is, it's it, it's it's not necessarily trying to compete with like Logic or, or Pro Tools specifically, but it, it's free. But it what it is is it's this killer analog style workflow. It's got what would what amounts to a digital to a tape machine. So. There's a, there's, it's like Pro Tools, there's a record page, mm-hmm. editing page, and a mixer. The mixer is their own proprietary mixer, but it's based on a Neve 80 series from the 70s and 80s. And it sounds like they, they've modeled the console, so when you're recording through it or playing back or mixing through it, it sounds like a Neve 80 series. Or it's neutral. You can turn that part off and just have a digital mixer. Yeah. Um, and the record side of it. Uh, when you record, you can turn on a Studer A27 emulation per track. You can bias the tape machine. You can, you know, what kind of tape was it? Because there are very subtle differences, whether yeah. it was Scotch or Ampex tape or Quantity or whatever. So it's this very esoteric, but very cool and very simple. It's geared towards musicians to do music. It's mm-hmm. not designed for post. There's no post features as in post-production uh, it's strictly for music people, and it's really uh, it, it's it's the first iteration. I mean, it's it comes out in March, and it's free, uh, and they'll update it as they go. But it it's really cool because it it brings into this into memory all this analog workflow, and it's very simple. Not I don't mean stupid simple, but it's a lot simpler than say Logic or uh, Cubase or Pro Tools is. Mm-hmm. You tend to have to be more of an engineer, think like an engineer. Yeah. They design it so that. You know, as a musician, you don't have to really put on your thinking cap as hard uh, to to get it done and to get those great sounds. Yeah, They've done a, built yeah. a lot of macros into it, but it's a full featured DAW with editing and mixing and all sorts of stuff. And and we're blown. They had this great booth where you they take you through, and it's very sort of Luna rocket ship, you know, sixties, you know, stuff. Cool. Uh, you know, and and the, and at the end of it, they had demos, and you could sit there behind a, a product specialist and ask them questions about it. So. Uh, that's really cool. If if someone owns a twin or any of the Apollo um, based stuff from UA, it, it's a free download once it's available, and it's and and you can you can export files to Pro Tools or mm-hmm. to Logic if you're a Logic user. So it doesn't have to replace it; it can augment it, and you can you know supposedly have the analog workflow and get analog sound now. And it did sound, you know, with all the processing, it sounded really good. Sweet. So yeah, I mean, there's there and wait again. Wait, how much? It's free. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, well, how can they do this? Well, it promotes the the 
the workflow within their Apollo ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And you can stack devices. You can have two Apollo 8s or you can have a 6 and a satellite or two satellites and add more DSP to it. So it's not a closed system by any means as far as once you have a box, that's all you have. You could have a, you could have a twin and an X6 and, and, and some... The, uh, you could use all that power as one special box. So it's yeah. it's really pretty cool. I'm sure they have some new things up their sleeves that's coming as well. So that and Avid has some new, has showed their S1 Surface. They have a new interface called the Matrix Studio, uh, which is really great for medium-sized studios. Killer uh, features, mm -hmm. great D2A, ADD conversion. Dante connected, so they're in the Ethernet world, AIOP. Yeah. Uh, so it's... Just a lot of incremental, you know, changes. Some some manufacturers move slower than others because they have a lot of uh, legacy gear to sort of move forward. And some little manufacturers that have three guys in their booth and fifteen workers back in Copenhagen or whatever, <laughs> they can put out a new product in nine months. So yeah. it's you see a lot of both sides of that. I think the the you know aside from incremental changes in the music music instrument side of things in the in the pro audio. Um, the high-end features are being put in in lesser and lesser expensive boxes, um, and you're getting more features for the dollar, more connectivity for the dollar because they're able to do it. Um, since since being network connected, there's a lot of less ADD conversion going on, and when there is, they can actually put better converters. So the whole point is everything sounds better, and you have more control over it. Um, so it's really exciting to see it. And nothing, like I said, nothing groundbreaking that just sort of rattles people's brains. Although everyone would love for you to think that, like, oh, this is a game changer. Well, yeah, yeah. game hasn't changed yet, but it 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 it's it's you know, the hose is running. Everything <laughs> is still changing. It's not a sure. trickle, but it's it's you know, there's things there's things changing, and you know, we'll see a lot more. I think at the NAB show in uh, April as well. That'll be exciting. Yeah. Well, we'll have to uh, cover that one as well. But you know. For now, we have a list of topics we're going to cover on future episodes. Yeah, It's going to be exciting. Yeah. And uh, we're going to have a good time with this. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, I, I hope uh, there's people out there that are picking up what we're putting down. Absolutely. Well, you can subscribe on iTunes or Spotify, wherever people listen to podcasts these days. I've switched over to Spotify. It's been very convenient. But wherever people listen to podcasts, go subscribe there. And uh, more episodes of Noise Reduction will be uh, be around in the future. But for today, Collier, let's put a bow on this one. All right. Uh, Y'all have fun out there. And if you can't have fun, stay home. <laughs> <laughs> I like that motto. I I probably should have adopted that multiple different times in my life. But uh, but that's all for this episode. We'll be back soon with another episode. But for Collier Screen, I'm Tyler Kern. We'll talk to you soon.